the campus of Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. You're listening to the G Suite Podcast, where we discuss all things Zag business. Episode 9. Kathy Dehart is a senior lecturer of accounting and proud alumna of Gonzaga. She began her crowning career at Deloitte and later worked as a business manager of a law school. Kathy is very active in the field of sustainability accounting and in 2016 became part of the first cohort globally to earn the SASB Fundamentals of Sustainability Accounting FSA credential. Kathy serves on the advisory board of Gonzaga's Center for Climate, Society, and the Environment. For folks listening right now, they don't realize we have with us today the legend, the one and only Kathy Dehart, senior lecturer at uh, Gonzaga University School of Business Business Administration. How's your summer going? It's going great. I just got back from Denver, the American Accounting Association Conference, and there were lots of great ESG sessions, so it was really fun. Awesome. You and and Dr. Kern down there, hopefully you didn't get in too much trouble together. And and Dr. Hogue was there as well. Oh, wow. Yep, it was great. Uh, I strategically wasn't invited. I see how it was. (laughs) You just chose not to go. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you guys got to go down there. I guess I knew knew all that, but I forget what I have for breakfast most days, so... (laughs) But first thing, uh, Kathy, I would like to hear a little bit about your journey to Gonzaga, where where you came from, how you ended up at Gonzaga, how you ended up in accounting. So, well, I fell in love with accounting in high school when I took my first accounting class, and this was at Bend High School in Bend, Oregon, and so just absolutely loved it. And then, although I also always wanted to be a teacher, and so when I started at Gonzaga, I was actually an education major to start with, but I couldn't decide what I wanted to teach. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me to teach accounting, but it didn't. And so I decided to major in accounting since I couldn't decide what to teach and and because I loved accounting. And so I did that. And then um, after working as a CPA for 11 years, after I graduated, then I switched over to teaching. Fascinating. So first of the Bend, Oregon you grew up in is probably drastically different than the Bend, Oregon of today, I would imagine, right? Right. Well, I actually grew up in Sun River, Oregon, and I just went to high school in Bend. So every day I would take the school bus into Bend about 15 miles away. And I was so lucky to grow up in Sun River because it's just this natural paradise. And so that's sort of where I got really interested in preserving the environment because yeah. the there was a naturalist in Sun River and he was in charge of the nature center. And so during the summer and during the school year too, I would go and volunteer at the nature center and and they rehabilitated eagles and you know, did all sorts of environmental work. So that's kind of how I got into it. That is so cool. I may have been to that nature center. We went down to Sun River a couple of years, summers ago, and it's beautiful, amazing. Um, there's a big resort with a golf course. We stayed there. Is it, is it called Sun River or something? Sun River it, it is. Yeah. So, so we actually lived, you know, in that community in the resort area. So there were a handful, I think 500 residents when I lived there. 
And so it, the tourists would all go home, you know, during the school year, and then it would just be us residents that were there. Just a full resort and all that nature to yourself. That's amazing. Yeah, we we went, we did a rafting trip. You, you put it exploded, right? Um, and there were some beautiful homes along the river, and, but very nicely done. Not like some of the stuff you see on like Coeur d'Alene where they just plop a huge house right on the water. Like it was very nicely incorporated into the natural scape. So I, I appreciate that. But that, I can't believe I didn't know that, Dr. Dr. Dehart, Professor Dehart. Um, wow. Okay, so, and then how'd you, how'd you find Gonzaga out of Sun River? Just Well, my mom actually really wanted me to attend Gonzaga because she actually earned a journalism scholarship to attend Gonzaga back when she was in high school. Okay. And, but didn't go because her family couldn't afford it. But anyway, I visited and I just fell in love with the campus. And, and I just knew after that visit that that's where I wanted to be. So you know, I hear that story a lot. Like the, I went to visit and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, my, I was talking to some folks from Calgary and their parents had gone to Notre Dame. And for some reason, driving through town when they were moving up to Calgary from Texas, they pulled over at St. Al's and, and checked checked it out. And they were like, we're gonna send our kids to school here. So oh, wow. craziness, yeah, very, very crazy. Um, very cool. And so then you find accounting and if you're, oh, so you're, you were starting the School of Education maybe, maybe it wasn't as, as uh, separated or into different schools back then but how'd you how'd you take your first accounting course well that was after I declared accounting so my first year I just took the general liberal arts courses and my advisor was actually a philosophy professor since I was originally declared in the school of education okay. but then since I still couldn't figure out what I wanted to teach then I just decided well I should major in accounting because I love accounting and so I switched over and and um, got a new advisor in the school of business. And I didn't I didn't give a very good intro to you, uh, but you teach uh, our principals courses here at Gonzaga and do a tremendous job. I've had the privilege of sitting in your class more than once, and also the student feedback is incredible. You do a great job at, at teaching the accounting concepts to. Folks are taking a first look at it, and it's hard. It's different, um, but you do do such a great job. And then you also teach, which we'll talk a little bit more about, our, our ESG courses at the grad school. Um, but I'm going to brag about you, and I always do this to you. I know you probably don't appreciate it as much as I do, but you graduated from Gonzaga, and you took the CPA exam, and you are what we refer to as an Elijah Watts sales winner, which for folks listening in a Typical year, you might have 100,000 CPA exam test takers um, and maybe between 80 and 120 individuals who get Elijah Watts cells. So you have to get a 95.5 or above in all four sections of the exam and you have to pass on your first try. So really, you're like the top. I, I can't do the math on my head, but 0.001% of uh of, of accounting scholars. So we're, we're very blessed to have you here. You go to, now you started out in, did you work in Spokane? Uh, no, Seattle at Deloitte. Okay. Well, at okay. the time, Deloitte Haskins and Sells was the okay. name of the firm. So that's where I started. Almost made it two years there. Great firm, great experience, but I'm the type that 
I like going to the same place every day. So all the changing from client to client wasn't really my thing. And so then I moved on to University of Puget Sound School of Law and became the business manager there. Since then, the they've transferred their affiliation to Seattle U. So it's funny how all of my former employers have changed their names. Very cool. And then um, at what point, so you're, you're doing, and you're on the audit side, it sounds like you're, you're, you're doing, and you finally, you want to scratch that itch to teach. How does that come about here? So that was about 10 years in, and I actually went back to school to earn my teacher certification. So I thought it would be fun to teach high school. And so I earned a um, continuing teacher certificate, also vocational certification. And then I started teaching at Highline High School near SeaTac Airport. Yeah. And I taught business ed classes. I taught typing. I taught accounting. I taught business law. Very business cool. Math. Yeah, it was a blast. It was really fun. Wow. Very cool. Are you, yeah, I, think I, I think I've seen you type. You're a pretty good typer. Very technical. I'm pretty fast. And yeah. I got faster after I took my how to teach typing class through my program. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I need, I need to take I'm a hunt and peck with the, kind of the two fingers. I'm not, I'm not efficient by any stretch of the imagination. All so. right. Well, I'll come and show you a few things. So give you some tips. And, and so then over time, though, you work your way um, back to the community colleges in Spokane. Is that, is that correct? Right. Because I moved to Spokane and in Spokane, the business ed courses are taught at the middle school level. At least they were back when I first moved to Spokane, and I really liked the older students, and so that's when I decided to apply to teach at the community college level, yeah. and so I taught at Spokane Falls Community College in their yeah. business education department, yeah. and it's... mostly computer application classes. Okay, that's great. That's mm -hmm. cool. Did, uh, was Jackie Franklin at the Falls as well? Yes. In the accounting department, but I never taught accounting there. I was always over um, teaching computer applications, business writing, classes like that. Very fun. Very fun. So that yeah. was my first experience teaching business writing. That's sort of how I got involved with that, too. So in, in you, you teach a component for that embedded in another class. I like to call it applied business writing. Um, and, and so that's where you got into it, right? So you started, to, is, that, is that how that worked out? Okay. Mm -hmm. And did you get some, did you get some, did you do some master's work in? Oh, yes. Then at the same time that I was teaching there, I earned my master's in computer and technology supported education. Okay. So I thought that seemed like the most appropriate master's for my job at Spokane Falls. Awesome. Like the rest of us, just collecting degrees, right? <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, if you stay in school long enough, then marry you, right? That's, kind of the, <laughs> that's the way it goes. Okay, and then somewhere along the line, you start doing adjunct work at uh, GONZAGA. At where? GONZAGA, Gonzaga. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, yes, my supervisor, my department chair at Spokane Falls, knew Dean Anderson, and Dean Anderson was looking for someone to teach a sophomore business writing class back when that was required at Gonzaga in the School of Business. And so she recommended me. And so for one semester, I taught one section of that business writing class. And then it just was too much because I 
also had another side job at the time teaching for an online high school. So mm. having three jobs at once while finishing a master's with three kids at home, I decided I had to, something had to go. Right. So, but it did get me acquainted with Dean Anderson. And then later when my position opened up, then he mentioned my name to Dr. Weber, who was then chair of our accounting department. And so that's sort of how I found out about the job. Awesome. Awesome. And then the rest is history, right? And you came, <laughs> came on board and now you do, do we have a, a writing, is it called a writing clinic, writing, um, you do, you, it's like a writing uh, service you provide for students, like a drop-in, like the writing. The, oh, the Jepson Writing Lab? Writing Lab. Thank you very much. That's Exactly. And, yeah. and we have graduate students who staff the lab so that they're there at lunchtime during the week, a couple of days a week and awesome. available to help students with their writing. Yeah, I think it's so important because when I talk to employers, the feedback that I often get on how a Gonzaga graduate is distinguished is their ability to communicate, ability to think uh, and articulate, not just, you know, in a memo or a letter or an email, but even uh, in presentations and all the above. And I just, I think it goes to, to classes like that or services like that, as well as a lot of stuff that's going over on in arts and sciences, as far as you know, taking philosophy and, and religion classes and the other, the other liberal arts core courses we have to take, but um, you've been instrumental in our writing side. And, and what we did recently, and this is going to be a nice segue into what I really want to talk about, which is ESG. Um, it, uh, we, it, we took that business writing class and we coupled it with your passion for ESG, uh, kind of based on the theory that, you know, the best writing is actual applied writing. And it's an area of your expertise. It was always a challenge for anybody to go outside of their areas of expertise and, and you know, if, for example, you know, you're looking at a tax paper and I think sometimes you'd say, hey, what do you think of this? Or have you seen this before or whatever? And um, instead of being an expert in everything, you already were an expert in ESG. So let's have the, let's have the students write in that area. Um, and you mentioned earlier that kind of growing up in Sun River, you, you got a passion for nature. Um, kind of walk me through the journey of ESG and how you what piqued your interest and how you started getting involved and all of that. Well, I was always interested. And so one day, I think it was back in 2014, I heard about the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds interesting. What's this all about? And it's a standard setting organization in the United States. Um, and basically, the standards help companies decide on which environmental, social, and governance issues they should report on. And they offered a credential called the FSA credential, Fundamentals of Sustainability Accounting. And so this was actually the very first time that this credential was offered globally. And so I was part of the first cohort to sit for two exams. So there was there were two exams I had to take. And so I passed the second one in 2016. And then I became part of the first cohort globally to earn the FSA credential. And so it's cool that my name's listed on the SASB website as being part of that original group. So, so 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to still put that on LinkedIn. <laughs> Um, can you explain a little bit about what, what you mean by sustainability accounting, just what, what the concepts are? This is uh, really yeah. So it's basically just measuring and reporting an organization's ESG performance. So, and with SASB, what's really important is that SASB isn't asking organizations to report on every possible sustainability topic because there are hundreds of different topics. And that would represent information overload. So what SASB has done is it did a lot of work in identifying what are the material, the significant sustainability issues for each of 77 industries. And so then companies, they figure out, well, here's the industry that we fall into, and these are the significant sustainability topics that stakeholders want to know about. So that's what we're going to report on. And actually, SASB is now part of the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, which was created back in November of 2021. So it's a pretty new organization. It's under the umbrella of the IFRS Foundation. And so the ISSB sits alongside the IASB, which issues IFRS, but the ISSB issues sustainability standards. And just two months ago in June 2023, um, the two sustainability standards were issued. And so now they're out there. And so this is the organization has gotten a lot of attention recently. And the ISSB has specifically said that it encourages organizations to use the SASB standards for reporting industry-specific sustainability topics. So SASB has just been in, embraced by the ISSB. Interesting. So in, in this is in addition to our SEC reporting requirements for publicly traded companies is it is it optional or how how is this working it depends on the jurisdiction so in the united states it's optional although of course i'm sure you know how the sec has proposed climate disclosures um gosh over a year ago a new climate disclosure rule was was published a proposed one although it still hasn't been finalized. And perhaps by this fall, we might see a final version of the rule, but that's just climate disclosures. And the ISSB is calling for more than just climate disclosures. So again, it's optional within the United States, although who knows what might happen in the future, but there are other jurisdictions in the world that have actually said that they are planning on adopting the requirement. They're planning on requiring companies to report using ISSB standards. Oh, yeah, very cool. And so, in addition to our our results of operations in a financial sphere, like here's here's, here's how much money we made. Here's here's how much we we paid for it. We're talking about here's our environmental impact, right? So that investors and creditors can know what kind of company this is. Now, when you talk about a climate disclosure, are we thinking like 
this is how many tons of carbon we put in the air minus um, all the trees we had planted to take carbon out of the air, however that's measured. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Are there any other things that they, they look at? So, so yes, that's what we're talking about. And also classifying greenhouse gas emissions by scope. So there are scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. And scope three emissions, that, that's been very controversial because that's basically emissions in the value chain. So for example, Ford Motor Company, if it reports scope three emissions, then it needs to report the emissions caused by all the companies in its supply chain, as well as the emissions by their customers driving their cars after they purchase them. Oh, okay. So it's really, really difficult to calculate scope three emissions, but they represent the bulk of the greenhouse gas emissions for most organizations. So it is really important to measure them so that they can be managed. And so that, that's one of the reasons why the proposed SEC rule has been so controversial, because there will just be so much work involved in reporting those scope three emissions. And there is there there's some kind of I'm trying to look it up right now, a third party certification or verification for companies that they can get. Does that sound does that ring a bell? It might be outside of, of, of SASB. Well, I mean, there are science-based targets. So for a company to be able to say that they're using science-based targets, they have to meet certain criteria. Okay. And there's there's also the greenhouse gas protocol. That might be what you're thinking about. Yes. So that's the methodology that companies use in classifying and reporting emissions. Okay. Is there like an ESG index or anything like that? Have you ever heard of that? Maybe it's out of the out of they, scope here, but well, they they have um ratings, organizations that rate companies and so they say that this company is rated, is given this score okay. for their ESG gotcha. um, performance. But I personally, I don't place a lot of stock in those. So Phillips Morris actually has a really high ESG rating. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, you can game the system. You can follow the rules and dot the I's and cross the T's and get a pretty good ESG rating. Okay. Okay. Even if you're giving the world cancer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So right. That's it. That's interesting. Well, so it sounds like there's some some progress to be made on on that front. So um and then I've also read and pardon my ignorance on this, but this is this is actually very interesting. ESG and so it's environmental, social, and governance, right? So I, I, environmental, I think, is pretty straightforward. Uh, social, we're talking about maybe elaborate on the, on the S and G and what those two mean. Uh huh. So the social might include topics such as product safety. So is if the company manufactures a product, is it safe for consumers? And also employee health and welfare. If it's a mining company, are they taking safety measures so that their employees don't get hurt in the mines? Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion would be a really important social area. 
So those are a few examples there. And then with governance, that would include the company's record on um, what, what safeguards do they have in place to make sure that bribes aren't being made? Mm -hmm. um, are they complying with a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act? Are they sourcing their materials ethically? That sort of thing. Interesting. And maybe that seems like the governance is a little closer to the what I would look as the traditional audit, you know, some controls maybe in there or close to that, at least, you know, what systems do we have in place and how are we implementing them? Interesting. Um, what do you what are you seeing in the market as far as, you know, like our professionals, they go out and they at least on the accounting side, we'll, we'll work in an accounting firm, could be tax, various areas of tax, could be audits, could be consulting, seeing some more hearing, this is not my wheelhouse, but some some growth in this as a professional uh, uh, undertaking, if you will. So, I mean, explain how, you know, what are you seeing there and what's, what's happening? Well, I know the firms, the big four firms, especially are really investing in this area, investing in terms of training their staff, et cetera. And because it's really a, a huge growth area for them to be able to advise companies to help them improve their reporting, their management of their um, sustainability efforts, but also for assurance purposes as well, it's a new piece of information that can be assured. And so there's a lot of growth there. And so I just recently, I was working yesterday on my PowerPoint for day one of class. Um, and I was looking at recent articles. There was one that mentioned PWC and how every single one of its employees now are getting training on ESG topics so that they're familiar with them. And then KPMG, about a year and a half ago, announced that it was going to make this, I think it was one and a half billion dollar investment and training their staff and buying things that they need in order to really move more strongly into the ESG space. And then plus I'm hearing from my students about them being able to work in the field. And so some of our recent grads now are working full-time in the ESG departments of these firms. So it is really exciting. I see a lot of growth. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's certainly been a hot topic. And I, and I I think the cool thing about it is, at least my perspective, my, my observation was it's largely shareholder-driven, as in shareholders are demanding this information on the companies they invest in. And companies are like oh we got you know exactly and um, yeah go ahead yeah. it's just going back to the founding of SASB in 2011 um they had an investor advisory board that consisted of these really high profile individuals like BlackRock the world's largest asset management company you know there was a representative that served on that investor advisory board and Goldman Sachs and um the CalPERS, you know, the big California fund. And so anyway, there's huge, huge investor support 
for getting this information. So it's really been market driven. And so I've watched a lot of videos where these folks talked about how, well, we don't need to even wait for the SEC. Like we, the investors, we're demanding this information. We want this information. And the reason they want it is because the material sustainability topics, they do have financial impact. So, so it definitely is something that investors want to know about. And just to give one quick example, if you think about water management, so that's an environmental issue, but for a company in the semiconductors industry, that's also a critical financial issue because semiconductor companies use a ton of water in the manufacturing process. So if they don't do a good job of managing their water supply, it's going to hurt their bottom line. Right, right. And, it, and it's, 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 we're overdue on recognizing, you know, the, those aspects of business, right? You know, and particularly in accounting, so focused on the, the historic bottom line of what's your profit, but ignoring externalities and other things that someone's got to pay for in the future, if not you. So, right. That's, it's fascinating stuff. So, and the ISSB is also sees the future of sustainability reporting as really being integrated reporting. So right now, the two types of reporting, financial and sustainability are pretty separate, but the ultimate goal is for them to be integrated into one report and for companies to think holistically about how they use their resources to create value. Not just financial and manufacturer capital, but also natural capital and and social capital, human capital, et cetera. Right, right. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. But, and <clears throat> timely as we hit how many days in a row of triple digits here in Spokane and all sorts of other scary stuff happening, happening mm -hmm. worldwide, so. Right. Cool. Now, got the honest question. Would you say that I have rhythm? I've never seen you dance, so I don't know. <laughs> but with your dance expertise, do I, do I do I walk as if I have rhythm? You do. Definitely. Oh, thank you so much. So, <laughs> so a little, in, in your free time, occasionally you'll go out and, and do some dance. Your swing dancing is your prefer, preferred dance form? Uh -huh. West Coast swing and East Coast swing. Those are my two favorites. And I do enjoy the hustle, not the line dance, but the partner dance. I mean, actually, I like the line dance too. I like them both. <laughs> so, I, I did. So, what's the difference between West Coast and East Coast swing? That's fascinating. <laughs> so, West Coast swing is done in a slot. So, it was designed for crowded dance floors where you could just go back and forth in a vertical slot. Um, and then, East Coast swing, you're all over the place. You're going in a circle and swinging in and swinging out. And so, they're both really fun. Wow. Um, so what's Vince Vaughn do in his movies? He's always doing some kind of swing, I feel like. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to pay closer attention <laughs> next time. <laughs> so how do you get into that? Like, how do you, how do you? Um, well, I, I actually took my first dance class at Gonzaga. Oh, so awesome. it was a social dance PE class. And so that's where I started to learn. And then I just have danced ever since and taken a lot of lessons over the years. Although you wouldn't know it, watch 
Hey, Dan, I should be a lot better than I am for all the lessons that I've taken. I, I now I have not seen you, but I hear you're pretty awesome. So, um, I, yeah, I think you're probably the, some of the perfectionists that comes with a lot of accounting folks. I bet you that's kind of coming through. Now, is it? Is it just if I'm doing West Coast swing, right? Is it just a set of steps every time, or are there like multiple moves that I incorporate here and there or whatever? And you just kind of have a lead and someone following. How, how does that work? Well, multiple moves, and I've never actually gotten to this level of expertise, but if you're really good, then you can do what's called playing. And so that's where the lead just lets the follow just sort of play and decide what she wants to do. Okay. So he just throws her out there and then she can play around and do her thing. And then he pulls her back again. Wow. So me, I need more direction than that. <laughs> wow. And and which one, do both, sometimes there's like throwing between the legs and getting in the air. Is that, is that happening? West coast, East coast? What's the... um, it can happen. I, I don't do that personally, but you see that a lot in cowboy swing. Okay. or country swing, and also Lindy Hop, which it's on my to-do list to learn Lindy swing. That's the more old-fashioned swing. And okay. there's a lot of throwing people around with that type of swing too. I mean, you don't have to, but I see a lot of it. And I'm, I'm guessing that this, uh, it originates like in the 20s or the 30s or something like that. Is that? The Lindy, yes, goes back that far. And then I think West Coast is probably more recent, although it's been around for quite a while. So I don't exactly remember when that started up. Yeah, I remember there was, I think that Vince Vaughn movie I'm thinking of was Swingers is what it was called. Oh, <laughs> um, an appropriate name. Yeah, they were all, yeah. And they were they were in LA and, and Vegas. So I remember they guess that it was a West Coast, but maybe not, I don't know, maybe that's not limited to geography, but fascinating. My uh, my wife very much wants our boys to be good dancers and, and she has um, signed them up for some dance classes, has looked a variety of dance classes. Oh, wow. It is not due to genetics. There's only so much <laughs> you can do at some point. We haven't got over the hump yet, but um, um, it's interesting. I, someone told me once that if you learn to, maybe it's ballroom, maybe it's waltz, like that's a foundation for a lot of other dances that you can kind of branch out from there. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Yeah, ballroom. I, I would start with just basic ballroom lessons. Yes. Uh-huh. Because for example, if you know the Foxtrot, then it's easier to learn. And I've now I've forgotten the name of the dance. There's another one that's based upon the Foxtrot. But anyways. Um, what about the tango? Is that is that in the in the in the uh, I took one tango lesson and I wasn't feeling it. It's, so. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a big Argentina file, I guess, fan, if you will. Um, uh -huh. And so there's some fascinating history, even how, you know, a time where it kind of had to go underground because they had um, a dictator and um, the, the preservation of those cultural aspects. And, and I don't know, I just feel like so much of culture and where people are can be reflected in food and dance and music and it's it's incredible and fascinating so and in tax and in how they raise revenue for their that's what i have found in my <laughs> international tax area how they raise revenue uh is usually pretty reflective of the culture and i, 
you have conversations in like you know with Brazil or Italy and you guys you guys have that for rule what how and you know you soon understand once you, you learn more about the culture but um, very cool um favorite part about your job at, at Gonzaga well my students hands down absolutely have the best student anywhere they're awesome no they really are just so sweet and polite and friendly and lovely yeah I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's always kind of awkward for me, like a graduation, if a parent comes and thanks for all you've done. And I'm really just like, I didn't do anything. You, you sent me a great student and I just kind of went through the motions. It was all them kind of deal. And exactly. Right. We really do attract, attract the best there is for sure. We do. We do. But now when you think of, you know, you're, your career looking back and and all your experiences and knowledge what what's some advice that you give for the new budding college graduate as they embark on uh a career i guess in business since this is the the business uh, podcast or accounting specifically well i guess one one piece of advice i would give is always be open to new experiences and so, for example, when I worked at the law school, my boss, the dean of the law school, he asked if I would oversee this traveling art show. It was called Art and the Law, and it was traveling across the country, and he wanted me to be in charge of this art show. And my initial reaction was, no, I, I know nothing about art, and so I'm thinking this in my head. And I'm really, really busy preparing quarterly budget projections. So why are you asking me? You should ask someone else. But then I stopped myself and I thought, well, why not? This would be fun and a, a fun challenge for me. So I said yes. And it ended up being this really, really enjoyable experience. And then the funny thing is that after I left the law school, I applied for a job and as I was interviewing for the position, I mentioned the art show and I could see the look in the person's eye that immediately I knew I had the job and it was because I oversaw this art show. And it turned out she was a great patron of the arts. And then that was just the one thing that clinched it that she wanted to hire me for the job, even though this was a financial position. So That's you just true. never know you know, how experiences can help you in the future. So just always try to say yes, you know, within limits, you want to make sure that you have time for yourself too, but. So true. That's so cool. And then I, I forgot you worked at the law school. What'd you do at the law school? I was business manager. Okay. So you, I, I super, supervised the bookstore manager, the copy center, the faculty secretaries. So I I think there were about 12 or 13 people that I supervised. And then I prepared the quarterly budget projections for the board of trustees of the university and managed the business office and basically managed the business operations at the law school. I guess I guess I kind of knew that. Maybe I didn't know that. Who's the dean? James Bond. James Bond was the dean. Yes, that was his name. 
<laughs> this is in the new building, right? Or the building down by the, the river? The one in downtown Tacoma when it was oh, part okay. of the University oh. of Puget Sound. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, UPS. Okay, okay. So I was thinking, for some reason, I was thinking Gonzaga Law School, but okay. UPS in Tacoma. Okay, that's very mm -hmm. cool. James Bond, the Dean. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, on the art, that's so interesting. And I, again, I'm such a spreadsheet kind of individual that, you know, it, it takes someone like my wife to kind of pry me out. And we have, now we're members at the Northwest Museum of Arts and Culture. Uh, and they're cool, um, cool exhibits they have. Go very on. cool. And yeah. rotating exhibits too. Yeah. yeah. You can go yeah. often. And educating yourself about, you know, what they mean and what's going on is it's pretty pretty awesome so definitely uh, yeah very cool very cool um i really like you know being open that's just so true because you just never know what that path's gonna lead to um i think myself and i don't want to project this on all accountants but i was very much a i need to do this this and this and check off these boxes to get myself set up for the next thing and uh, it wasn't until times when I was open to new things that really some of the best results came came about. So uh, it's, it's a good journey, but um, appreciate your time today. Yes, well, it's great talking to you. Yeah, always a pleasure. And um, yeah, let's go Zags. Go Zags.